good morning, afternoon, or evening. Please delete as appropriate, and I hope you're all doing very, very well. What weird, weird times for everybody, and that's the understatement of the year, isn't it? Uh, first of all, yes, I am Andy Anako. This is the Material Podcast, uh, and this is a uh, this is my own version of the uh, isolation special, isolation spectacular. Uh, Flo had to do uh, some episodes without me uh, for reasons that I'll explain at the end of the show. Fortunately, it's, it's nothing you have. It's not coronavirus related. Uh, uh, despite what my throat might sound like, I'm not sick, fortunately. Uh, so my deep, deep, deep thanks to Flo, uh, who is supposed to be thinking of nothing uh, related to podcasting right now. Unfortunately, uh, I couldn't do the show, and so she had to step in. And she's, again, my deep, deep thanks to her. Um, but boy, doesn't isn't it nice for uh, to talk to you right now? Uh, it's uh, because it's again, it's such a weird time. Um. We've been through our share of what seemed to be uh, epic changing incidents in our lives. We've been uh, in situations where it felt like we are watching history. Um, Many of us, most of us, I think, that are listening right now uh, have memories of what what it was like when uh, two different space shuttles uh, were destroyed – on liftoff and on return to earth. We remember what the day was like and what the months were like after the nine 11 attacks. This feels like something very, very different. And I'm, I'm confident that we're going to get through it because this is why the human beings are uh, the prime species of planet earth. We are so adaptable. There is very little you can do to us that we won't figure out a way to survive it. Uh, We've, uh, as I have always thought to myself of the the fact that we've landed people on the moon is the ultimate middle finger to what to nature and entropy and chaos, because there is no more hostile environment (laughs) hardly uh, than space. And our attitude was, well, you're right. If if it's 300 degrees in the sunlight and minus 300 degrees in the shade, and there's no oxygen and micrometeorites want to destroy us, gosh, we're going to have to, make some sort of special hat to protect us, I guess. And so three missions later, someone is hitting golf balls on the moon. Uh, so I'm not worried that we that will uh, get through this. However, lately I've been thinking that this is, I, I've never been able to really relate to how, in my case, my grandparents lived through the Great Depression. And for generations after, there would be a joke of, oh, you can tell that so-and-so's parents or grandparents must have lived through the Great Depression because they, they have hundreds and hundreds of packets of sweet and low that they've, uh, they've stolen from restaurants or they use the tea bag three or four times or they'd much rather have a broken refrigerator for three weeks uh, and keep trying to fix it themselves than hire someone to do it professionally. Um, this does feel like a situation where – Uh, In the future, our children and our grandchildren are going to say, God, why does why does grandpa like always spend 30 seconds washing his hands instead of just, you know, rinse, squirt something in it and then hold it under the dryer? I'm I'm predicting that 50 years there will be revolution in in, in how we wash our hands in the bathroom. Why, Why do they and why are they always telling us to wash our hands all the time? And why are they, uh, why, why do they, uh, 
try not to shake hands or try not to touch things. And why are they so paranoid about this, that, and the other? And uh, they are, they will understand academically only that in the year t- uh, 2020, there was this big epidemic. Uh, just like we learned that academic as kids, we might have learned academically that there was a flu flu epidemic in the in 1918, 1919, you know, the early uh, 20th century. It was a historical thing, but we didn't really understand how that affected how uh, the people who lived through it. It's gonna well, is it going to seem weird? That there was a common custom of, I'm going to grab you, I'm a total stranger, and the first thing I do when I'm introduced to you is I'm going to grab you by a part of your body and shake it. Just flesh-to-flesh contact, and I'm just going to shake it and squeeze it and shake it. And a year from now, two years from now, when we seem to, when, which I think is how long it's going to be before we truly have a handle on coronavirus – that uh, it, it, are we going to go back to those old customs? Is it going to seem weird to have uh, touch contact with a total stranger? Are we going to uh, is uh, our marketers and product developers are they going to have a recurring built-in market for people who are certainly not afraid to touch a shopping cart handle, but they definitely don't want to touch it until they've been uh, until they've been sterilized or until they've been cleaned uh, are there are we going to be a society of people who don't necessarily hoard things but we definitely are never without a two week supply of anything that we count on now I'll, I'll lighten the mood a little bit and, and say that I'm in a I was in a, oddly enough I've been preparing for this for a long time and not because I'm prescient or anything but because I am disorganized as hell, particularly when it comes to cleaning products, uh, I, uh, I I keep a relatively tidy house, but I live alone. And so the pressure of not ruining a living space for another human being is not present. That, that, <laughs> that extra pressure does not exist. Uh, I am so much a better housekeeper when I'm staying in a hotel room, oddly enough, when I have maid service every single day. Because even then, I'm like, okay, well, you know, we kind of made a mess with all this takeout food. Let's make sure that we stack everything up. And if we've got like a a grocery bag that we all of our stuff came in, let's make sure we put in the grocery bag and put the grocery bag on top of or next to the trash barrel so that whoever has to clean up after us has as simple a job as possible. Whereas as I speak uh, at my feet underneath the desk, there is an open container of one, one open one liter plastic bottle of seltzer that's still about a third full and I think last week I took it off the table because I needed some space and put it underneath there. And even when I kicked off my shoes about two hours ago, I realized that, ooh, let's be careful about that. Instead of thinking, hey, let's take that, let's get rid of that bottle before we spill it all over everything. Uh, but to under, so to underscore this, I'm always, um, I, I use sanitary wipes, uh, uh, like, you know, uh, Clorox uh, disinfecting wipes. For just regular, you know, let's uh, when we not when I'm not cleaning the bathroom top to bottom, just the usual. Okay, well, let's clean some surfaces and make, clean and disinfect some surfaces. But I keep forgetting how many of these I have because the the bottle that I'm the, the container that I'm using is right there in the shelf in the bathroom. But I've got a pantry where I've got you know, stuff that I'm not using, and so I'll be like, if I'm feeling really guilty about not having cleaned in a while. I will. Ha- I will say. Oh well. Uh, yeah, that's right. Let's go to the cleaning aisle. Let's get some more or uh, more Clorox wipes. And it wasn't until I took inventory last week or the week before that I realized that through that I've got about eight 
containers of, of disinfecting wipes. And I was also really, really well uh, well settled for Purell as as well. And this is partly because of, once again, disorganization, but also because of my lifestyle as somebody who goes to a lot of conferences and speaks at a lot of conferences. And just to give you one example, though, and not as a speaker, but as a uh, at the, every year, maybe twice a year, I uh, moderate panels and uh, and interviews on stage interviews at uh, at comic cons, and I try to be a good I try to be like the host, the concierge, the producer, uh, even as I'm on stage uh, interviewing these people. So I make sure that uh, I, uh, when I know what my schedule is going to be. Like I, I always go to the go to the drugstore like a few days beforehand and buy like a twenty four pack of bottled water and maybe a dozen little bottles of hand sanitizer so that when the when the guests when uh, Wallace Shawn <laughs> uh, or 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 whatever writer actor uh, artist uh, is uh, a pro- comes to the comes to the podium to uh, sit down and be interviewed and do their talk there is a little bottle of hand sanitizer brand new and there's a bottle of water brand new waiting for them and between those purchases and all the times where i knew that oh god we're going to be spending 3 or 4 days in san francisco at Macworld Expo or at WWDC or something. Uh, I'm gonna make sure I have, if I'm gonna go to a conference, gotta make sure I got a hand sanitizer and I will buy because they're these they use remember when they used to be like a buck each, maybe? So I would buy like half dozen and way more than I possibly need. And I'd only take two or three with me and I'd take two bottles home back with me. And it I feel like an alcoholic. I don't mean that as a joke, sixty <laughs> percent alcohol. I mean that uh, uh I always used to wonder why liquor stores sell those tiny, tiny little airplane bottles of vodka and 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 like hard alcohol? I said, gosh, well, why would you? Why wouldn't you buy a full bottle? Until someone explained to me that, well, this is how active alcoholics get through the day, and they because they need access to alcohol to function, they keep, they hide these little tiny bottles everywhere. So that if some sort of someone you know, gets rid of their big stash, they can still. <laughs> they can still go uh, behind the medicine cabinet and find a little. So this is, I feel as though I'm an alcoholic for san- hand sanitizer because as I've been cleaning the house, I keep coming out with, oh, well, here's a bag that I haven't used in four or five. Oh, look, here are three little bottles of hand sanitizer, two ounce bottles of hand sanitizer. And oh, well, here's like a box of stuff that I just, when I needed to clean off surfaces inside the house and just get rid of clutter, I just toss them. Oh, look, here are three or four more bottles of hand sanitizer. So I've been sort of hoarding these things without knowing it. And that's to say nothing of the fact that isopropyl alcohol is kind of a staple of my household between all like the like, like electronics that I work with uh, and uh, cleaning. It's it's uh, I uh, uh, alcohol is important for cleaning circuit boards. It's really good for cleaning keyboards. It's basically anything that you that you need to kind of get through that won't hurt electronics like uh, spraying on water that will corrode things. Uh, but also. Um, I, one of my tips for productivity at home is that, uh, I, sometimes when I feel as though I haven't gotten enough done, even though I've been at the keyboard all day long, I feel like if I, I one of my little tricks to trick my brain into getting out of the, oh man, we're, we're terrible. We can't do anything. We're, that's horrible. We're never going to get anything. One of the things I do is like, I'll do something like I will take apart my electric razor and I'll clean it. And it involves filling up a, like a cup full of isopropyl and and dropping like the blades and the and stuff in there, letting it soak for a while. And that's another one of those things where if I'm doing shopping and I happen to be in the aisle of pharmaceuticals or in cleaning stuff, and I see a bottle of isopropyl alcohol, like, Oh, 
gosh, I can't, don't remember how much of the, do I have any? Okay. It's only a buck and a half. I'll buy another bottle. So as a result, I've got about a gallon, gallon and a half of that stuff left. So, uh, and all I needed to do was empty out. Uh, oh, also, also nitrile gloves. How did I wind up hoarding nitrile gloves? I've got like four or five boxes of these things. And, and the reason for that is that now this is one of those things that I, I am a foolish, foolish man. Have you ever had one of those little insights that you've been missing out on a really easily imagined tip and doing things the wrong way for years? So uh, obviously when you're in the kitchen, you have to be really careful about when you're preparing chicken and pork and other things. You have to make sure you wash uh, your hands, make sure you don't contaminate, contaminate other pro- other things. Also, uh, another thing I didn't learn – and so I wear these nitrile gloves so that at least with my hands, I can just peel these things off and I'm clean. I don't have to then scrub for, an, for that ungodly half a minute. Now it's a very important half a minute, isn't it? Uh, so I don't have to scrub my hands anymore because, hey, look, all that grits, all that horrible stuff is in the kitchen trash now. But also, I, uh, I it wasn't until I was watching uh, Chopped uh, on the Food Network, of all things, that I learned basic kitchen preparation techniques like, oh, wow, that's just watching these people trying to like making stuff on the fly, realizing that, oh, that's why I've never been able to season my green beans correctly, because they just they don't just they don't season it in the pot. They, they when they're done cooking, they put the vegetables like in this little uh, metal bowl and then they add the seasoning to it. And then with their hands, they turn it over, turn it over, turn it over. Oh, but I didn't want to get my hands filled with like olive oil and seasonings. So that's another reason why, oh, so I'll just keep nitrile gloves in the in, in the kitchen. And whenever I'm like kneading dough or whenever I'm mixing cookie dough or anything like that, I will just, instead of washing my hands, I will, okay, I wash my hands too, but instead of having to deal with these sticky hands that don't get clean without turpentine, it feels like I will get these. So as a result, only by having to, only by having to clean up my my office and my house, did I realize that I had no real need to do any hoarding whatsoever because I, I my house was pre-hoarded. Ugh. So that's, let's, so a little bit of self-deprecating fun there. Um, it is, it, it is quite an amazing turn of events. These things that seemed like, oh, well, that's good because now I can spray down the handle of – I can fill up this little spray bottle with alcohol and spray down the handles of my of the grocery sh- grocery carts and stuff like that. It's not a handy thing anymore. It feels like this is uh, – we're going to be doing this for at least a year. And I, I don't – I hope that we're not under what we – what feels like a, this uh, lockdown for an entire year. We might. But I do feel as though until we get uh, a vaccine, which involves not only figuring out how to how to prepare a vaccine against this virus, but also testing it so that we know how to administer it and what the uh, what the uh, the precautions are going to be, I think we're going to only until we have the ability to test everyone effectively, thoroughly, and uh, the entire community and cheaply uh, on demand. Can we know how who needs to be isolated and who is, for now, kind of okay to be outside and out and about? And then vaccination to make sure that everybody is okay uh, and we're not going to be transmitting this disease to other people. This is going to be a year, year and a half. Something that I've observed a while ago is that a lot of the things we do are just habits. And all you have to do is stop doing that thing 
for a shorter amount of time than you think before you drop that habit completely. And you can, you can transfer this to, I don't know, like eating after 6 PM or staying out late or whatever you want to do. But a lot of the stuff that we're used to doing, uh, casually is stuff that once we have the ability to a year from now, a year and a half from now, when we essentially get an all clear from the CDC and from the world health organizations that it's going to seem weird to go back to these old habits again, shaking hands with a total stranger. It was, it's, it didn't take long. I was watching the, uh, tonight I was watching the, uh, the finale of, uh, uh, British Portrait Artist uh, Artist of the Year, which is a really nice reality competition show uh, in on the uh, on BBC, which is all about professional and amateur portrait painters competing uh, in actual. Just <laughs> here is three subjects. Three of you at once are going to paint this portrait over four hours, and judges will decide which one of you which one of you gets to move on to the end. And of course, though they they named the winner in, in the show that I saw tonight. And oh, they're hugging each other. They're shaking hands, and they're they're like kissing each other. And even if this has only been, I'm recording this uh, on uh, in the middle of March, and it is weird. It has only been two or three weeks, but it is profoundly weird to see people touching like that. Is that going to stay a thing? Are we going to also have the same attitude towards workspaces after a year? maybe of letting our workers, not just the gig workers, not just the freelancers like me, but salaried people, engineers, creatives, marketing people, executives, everybody. Is that going to be the end of the workplace as we know it? Not because we are scared about congregating in one place, but because we realize that, wow, so much stuff got done with people not necessarily having to have babysitters everywhere, not having to have daycare eight hours a day and not having to get into a car. They could sleep until 8 a.m. and then take an entire hour to get breakfast, play with their kids, uh, play with their cats, uh, get dressed before virtually clocking in at nine. And boy, they got lots of stuff done. I've got, uh, I'm still doing my, uh, my tech contributions to NPR. This week is going to be the first week that uh, that uh, I'm doing it uh, remotely. Normally, I go into Boston for at uh, to either WGBH's main studios or their satellite studio at the Boston Public Library. Obviously, the public library is closed down, and uh, I, though I went in once or twice when there was after the declaration of uh, a big bad virus, and there's Purell everywhere, there's hand sanitizer everywhere, there are Clorox wipes everywhere. Uh, now that's like, it really does feel like it's, if I can, I've got a really lovely microphone here. I've got a great internet connection. Why should I risk going all the way to Boston? Massachusetts is a hot spot. Uh, it's I think one of the top five, top six, uh, uh, most reported cases. So I don't have any interest in going in there and coming back with something that, uh, could infect other people, let alone myself. Uh, and, I, it's it's weird because it it's already uh, my regular routine of that Friday morning is shot. I kind of look forward to it. I kind of look forward to. I have to take a. Uh, I have to. I usually take commuter rail instead of driving, so I have to catch like a nine something a.m. train. So I have to be out of the house by eight thirty. 
But and that's also one of the few times during the week that I'm absolutely positively dressed nicely, not just dressed okay, but dressed uh, if I've got a if I've got a clean shirt and tie, a dress shirt and tie within uh, within reach, I'm in a shirt and a tie because I kind of I don't get to dress up all that much, and I like having that hour on the train to sort of review my notes and write new ideas and get all this stuff ready, uh, and I like interacting with all the people that I have to interact with before I sit down before that console. And I like having face-to-face conversations with these people on the radio. And what's going to happen on Friday is that I'm simply going to, uh, I'm going to uh, sometime during the morning, probably around 11, I'm just going to a uh, half hour before I'm supposed to be on the air, I'm going to make sure my internet connection is up. I'm going to, I don't need to sh- even shave because there's no video involved. And on the one hand, it'll give me the whole morning and I'll love that. But on the other hand, yeah, you definitely miss that kind of contact. And and this is – I'll wind this up before we go to our first ad. This is uh, – we, we're used to having just ch- uh, chit-chat and conversation before we go to the first ad. So I hope you were not – I hope this is not bothering you. Um, a lot of people – a lot of my friends are joking with, oh, well, gosh, you don't have to, you can't leave the house. You have to work from a home, work from home. I guess that really isn't too, too different for you. And to be honest, it isn't. Um, I, I have no idea how parents handle something like this. And I've always thought that I've always thought, how do you handle it when God, the, the kid is throwing up and it's seven in the morning and you can't, you can't take the day off to take care of the kid and you can't drop the kid off at daycare because the daycare says that if the kid is sick, they're, they're not, they don't want to infect the other kids. And what do you do under those circumstances? And what kind of, if you are a two parent household, how do you have that conversation about whose day is uh, more disruptable, you know? Uh, and if you're a single parent, what in the world do you do? So I can't imagine what it's like when, uh, if you are uh, if, if if you have the sort of job where I suppose technically you could do it from your office, but it still requires complete focus. You're not doing it. You, you don't have things that need to be get need to get done by six p.m. But it doesn't matter what order you do it in or what time. Uh, what do you do when you have to deal with three kids who are going bats because they can't leave the house and and you can't really explain to them why they can't go to the playground and play with other people? I don't understand how that works. But that said, it's still weird for me. Now, I've been a freelancer, self-employed, since I was 23, 24. I'm considerably more than 23 or 24. Uh, you may double that and then add, uh, add, a, fra- add a remainder uh, to that. Uh, and so I've got routine. The, the, when you start working for, working for yourself, working from home, uh, it's easy. The, the novelty wears off after a month or two. And you start to not do your job very well for a while until you figure out how to create a routine for yourself. And one of my routines is every Wednesday morning, I go out for breakfast with a few friends of mine. I meet some friends at a diner. And that is one of those flagpoles in the week. Uh, because again, no matter what, ha- what el- no matter what else happens during the week, I have to be showered and shaved and dressed. Uh, <laughs> I have to, my, my conversational software has to be completely warmed up and ready to go and running the latest software. Usually, because I'm going out of the house anyway, I'll I'll I add to I add to that. Oh, I'm just going to go to the Starbucks that's kind of a mile away from the the diner and just have a peach tea, hot peach tea. Always the same thing, 
uh, at a desk and I'm going to read the morning comic strips and then I'm going to take some notes for the stuff that I'm going to write later in the day. And then I'm going to go across from the Starbucks to the supermarket and do my shopping for the week. That was another, that was another lucky thing. Um, because I did all my, sh- I did my big weekly shopping like a day before the national emergency was declared and before everybody lost their minds. So as a result, I had, <laughs> I had steaks and I had pork chops and I had paper towels and I had everything that I needed, uh, rice and beans, everything I needed for at least a couple of weeks. Uh, so, and when you don't have that in front of you, when you don't have that metronome, that that keeps time for you. Boy, you, it, it, it does set you back on your pins and you realize how much you enjoyed uh, the option of going out. So it wasn't that I like to stay inside uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I just I am the sort of person who tends to self-isolate socially. Uh, uh, that's, that's my default position. It's where, uh, as I as I like to say, that's where the, the natural gravity uh, natural gravity field of my personality is that if you drop the ball, it will roll towards being spending the, the afternoon alone. And sometimes I have to shake myself out of that. As a matter of fact, that's why I think that uh, if I were to write uh, a, a, an Android app for myself, it would be just a simple thing that uses geolocation to figure out how long has it been since you left the house, Andy? Oh, so it's been two days. Maybe you should think of getting out of the house for a bit. So what my, uh, part of my routine and part of what helps me keep mind and uh, my, my mind together is even when I've got work to do, I like being able to take a walk uh, and work, work at the library or take a walk and work at the coffee shop that's down the street where they know me and they greet me and uh, they <laughs> – if I'm still working there at the end of the day and they've got uh, they've got extra – uh, they've got extra donuts or, uh, extra ciabattas left. Like they'll, they will, I will be, I will be disrupted from my, my typing with the rattle of a paper bag and find that, uh, one of my friends at the shop has simply put four extra ciabattas in a bag and dropped it on my counter. Uh, I dropped it on my table and it's these little, it's these micro transactions that kind of keep my mind together. So it's weird for everybody. And uh, and I haven't even started talking about people whose health is at desperate risk because let's not get all the way down about this. Uh, but yeah, let's remind ourselves that uh, we are a, a nation. We are a world that is coming together in agreement that um, although most of us won't uh, most of us, uh, even if or when uh, we uh, we contract this virus, uh, won't get terribly sick. Fewer of us will die from it. The fact that we are isolating each other, the fact that uh, we are keeping that we are only leaving the we are only uh, in a uh, we, we are we are in agreement with our state governors that. Uh, uh, that uh, the grocery stores can stay open, but they can only let 50 people in at a time and they must observe six foot uh, distance requirements at all times. We are saying <laughs> a year from now, this would have been the reason why there would there was a revolution in this country. The, oh, the government is trying to control us. We already have idiots who are doing this uh, as it is. But we are acknowledging that this is something that has to be done. And for the large part, it is not for our well, our individual well-being is for our communal well-being. Um, 
one of the things that makes things tough for everybody, myself included, is that, God, I want to help my elderly relatives. I, I really can't, you know, uh, because they are uh, a couple hours away. Uh, I don't have a car, so I can't even drive up to like deliver groceries or check in on them uh, physically. And my, I still got a bum leg, so I can't, you know, carry stuff or do physical stuff for them, uh, even if I'm separated from them by a window. And it's driving me a little bit nutty to think that I just have to keep, you know, texting them and messaging them and, you know, being an outside presence and making them feel okay. So there is a, uh, a year from now or a year and a half from now, maybe we can start to talk about the, the upsides of this situation. Um, there's only one that I can latch onto right now, and that's that I have a favorite literary quote that has given me a lot of strength and given me a lot of guidance throughout my life. And I thought it was a quote by Kurt Vonnegut. I was only half right. I was half remembering it. It was a line that Kurt Vonnegut wrote in one of his uh, memoirs, but he was quoting his son, who's a pediatric uh, doctor. And the line is, we're all here to help each other get through this thing, no matter what it is, or excuse me, wherever, whatever it is. And isn't that beautiful? And isn't that something that will help you make the right decisions over a long period of time in a wide array of situations, we're all here to help each other get through this thing, whatever it is. We don't know what the problem is. We don't know what the solution is. We don't know how big it is. We don't understand this at all, but we know that our guidance is that we're here to help each other. And I find that rarely am, rarely am I disappointed with myself if I let myself think, how can you help other people? You know, we are all here to help each other. That's, that is our mandate. I don't, no matter what religious text you subscribe to, or uh, if you are not religious, if you're atheists, that's, it is universal. We're all here to help each other. We have a limited amount of time on this earth. Even if you have 80 more years on this planet, at some point it's done. And, the thing that is going to give me, I think, the greatest amount of peace at the end is to th at least be able to convince myself that I used a lot of that time doing what's right for other people, to creating the paradise on earth that we were always meant to live in. And that's always about picking up one piece of trash. It's not about creating the killer app that changes the world. It's about... Uh, finding the one person who needs to be, who needs a conversation and talking to them, acknowledging other people, acknowledging other people's humanity. And part of acknowledging another person's humanity is acknowledging that they need. Okay. Well, we're about to, <laughs> I was about to joke that, okay, the, um, this is getting so sermon, sermon like is that, that you're probably instinctively looking in your wallet because I'm about to pass the plate. Uh, actually, we are going to pass the plate because it's time for an ad. Uh, but we'll get in now. We're going to get into some uh, my thoughts and about uh, recent news, coronavirus related, uh, and uh, but that's going to happen after this message. This episode of material is brought to you by Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your project to the next level. 
They have 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia. And with their enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage option, and their next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a surprisingly good price. Get started on Linode today with a $20 credit for listeners of this show. And you'll get access to native SSD storage, a 40-gigabyte network, and industry-leading processors. Root access to your server along with API version 4 and Python CLI. GPU compute plans that are suitable for AI, machine learning, and video processing, block storage, and object storage that can scale to your storage requirements, and more. Go to linode.com slash material and use promo code material2020 when creating a new Linode account, and you'll get a $20 credit towards your next project. Oh, and Linode are hiring right now. So if that's something that interests you, go to linode.com slash careers to find out more. Once again, that's linode.com slash material and the promo code material2020 for that $20 credit. Our thanks to Linode for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Okay, well, let's start off by talking about how Google is responding to uh, the coronavirus and how the world is responding to their responses. Uh, there's a even the stuff that I first made notes on a few weeks ago. It's a moving target, isn't it? Uh, but and actually, most of what I'd like to talk about, most of the stuff that there's follow-up stuff on, is directly re- related to the uh, Google blog uh, post uh, that was posted uh, a few weeks ago on uh, – a couple of weeks ago on uh, March – actually, my goodness, time has a way of fooling you. March 15th, it seems like a lifetime ago, but it was only 10 days ago. So uh, they, a post uh, byline by Sundar Pichai. Uh, COVID-19, how we're continuing to help. Uh, so let's let's go through this this, this stuff. Uh, so they're saying that uh, based on, I'm quoting here, based on data from governments and other authoritative sources, Google search and maps will now display if a place like a school or local business is temporarily closed. Uh, they're also uh, updating, making it simpler in the Google My Business portal for a business to mark themselves as temporarily closed. Also, this is where the uh, Google Duplex technology comes in. That's the robot voice that uh, automatically, in a natural and soothing uh, sounding uh, voice, asks calls businesses and asks them if they're open and if they've uh, if they've got uh, any changes to their operational hours uh, that was uh, if you'll recall when it was first announced and demoed a couple of years ago at Google IO a lot of people thought oh my god that's so creepy that's such a google thing to do but it really is demonstrating that this is something that comes in handy when you have a crisis like this and you need to update lots and lots of data in a short amount of time because it's uh, we're all being asked to stay inside. And if anybody is deciding to go out somewhere, hopefully it's for a very, very important reason. And you would hate for someone to waste that going outside risk on a business that, uh, that happens to be closed. So the ability to guide people through the normal Google maps and Google search tools is really, really important. Um, I had a simple, I had a, uh, a quandary like that uh, a week or two ago, there was a, uh, I keep manning, I keep, I kept meaning to go to a, a certain framing shop uh, in the city with a, a very nice uh, 
poster that I bought on eBay a, a couple of months ago, but I keep putting it off and putting it off. And then you have days where it's like, oh, I just don't feel like even before the, even before uh, the, uh, the stay at home mandate, you just feel like not going out. And now, uh, so as I'm trying to figure out, well, here's the guidance that the governor has put in place for this state. It does not, there is, there is nothing about this guidance that says do not go to a store that is allowed to be open and do business with them if you can if it's the sort of business where you don't have to be in contact with each other so uh given that this uh, is a i've been to this framing shop before the the counter where you do business is actually five or is itself four or five feet deep so that they can you can spread out the poster or whatever it is you're going to be framed so it feels like i could if i wanted to uh but i so i emailed them uh because uh, i've emailed them because if i got if i didn't get an answer that wasn't an answer about whether they were open or not i was hoping that i'd be told that oh no we're closed so i would not uh, have the ability to make that to make that uh, dis- determination on my own and i got the worst response possible uh, which was oh yes we're we're open during normal hours uh and there was a paragraph explaining how desperate they were for business and how much they appreciate the inquiry and how this is if they and, and the more business they can get the more likely it is they can keep their staff on and now i'm like ah oh, dang it what is my ethical what is my ethical mandate here and I, i'm I'm thinking about it. I still instinctively believe that I can get this thing framed anytime, but now there's the extra, I wouldn't say guilt, but the factor of even if my 60 to $200 framing job is not going to save the business or keep the doors open, at least they will have some glimmer of light that people are coming in still. And for all I know, they're still doing okay business, but it's, it's tough. Uh, continuing though on the, uh, how we're continuing to help. We're also removing COVID-19 misinformation on YouTube, Google maps, our developer platforms like play and across ads. So on YouTube, they are taking down uh, thousands of videos. They say related to dangerous or misleading coronavirus information. Uh, they continue to remove uh, videos that, uh, promote medically unproven methods to prevent coronavirus. Uh, and on Google Maps, uh, they're taking down false and harmful content, such as they say, such as fake reviews and misleading information about healthcare locations. And this is part of really any uh, any infrastructure scale internet business's responsibility that uh, that nobody has uh, a pass for allowing people to abuse their platform for doing bad things for causing harm. That was never your intent when you created this tool, when you created the service, but nonetheless, you have responsibility for it. You didn't, uh, you didn't cause this problem, but you're also responsible for it. Uh, So it's good to see that, but this really does put all these uh, people in a quandary. And I'm about to say the words, of course, Donald Trump, because he is a problem. Okay. Uh, his public statements are directly harmful to people, and let's let's go to the start with the the famous <laughs> blunder uh, the, around the, the Thursday in which he announced it was on live television announcing a national emergency. He announced that uh, Google is uh, cr- is creating a coronavirus site. 
that will uh, that will help you decide if you need to be tested or not, and if so, where to get the testing, and then you'll get the results of the testing through the site. And it's, they're doing uh, they've made he said uh, seventeen hundred Google engineers are working on it, and quote they have made tremendous progress so far. And of course, this was news to Google. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Verity Verily was working on something they were calling Project Baseline, uh, and all they were doing, <laughs> all they all they were doing was uh, uh, they're working with uh, California state, local, and federal health authorities to help figure out where the testing sites are in the San Francisco Bay Area, and to help uh, healthcare providers locate places where they can get tests or where they perhaps where they can send people for tests. It was never intended to do one tenth of what Trump said it was. They even had, uh, 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 Dr. Deborah Burks, the federal coronavirus response coordinator, had a chart standing behind him, pointing out exactly how this wonderful, uh, uh, wonderful uh, website was going to work. Uh, and so they were forced to, uh, Verily was forced to tweet out, uh, here's the tweet, Verily is in the early stages of development and is planning to roll testing out in the Bay Area with the hope of expanding more broadly over time. And so uh, it's open. Uh, the site is open now. It is very, very limited in what it can do. But they, uh, Trump was saying these things and promising people that this is part of why. Hey, nobody worry because we're gonna uh, uh, we're gonna have testing available for everybody, and Google is helping us out. You know, Google they're big and they're smart, and they're gonna help us do that. And when the company did not even know that any mention of the company was going to happen during this address, let alone what the content was going to be. That's a problem, and people need to get good information. And uh, it's the announcement in that original blog post about removing COVID-19 misinformation specifically, uh, he said, we continue to remove videos that promote medically unproven methods to prevent coronavirus. And of course, uh, Trump is now famous for tweeting out, "Hey, here's this uh, here's this anti-malaria drug that you can buy." In, excuse me, he didn't say where you could buy it, but hey, here's this that's doing great things and it's probably going to take care of everything. And people are sourcing this from uh, it, it's basically it's an it's an off-schedule use of the drug. It has not been tested for this. It has not been approved of this. It's not even known whether use of this drug for people who do not have malaria is even uh, is even safe. Does YouTube have the responsibility to remove press conferences in which he mentions or even alludes to the presence of this anti-malarial drug? It's a bigger problem, I think. We're not talking – this is not the Twitter podcast, but it's an even bigger problem for Twitter, isn't it? Because uh, Twitter is the manufacturer of Trump's main megaphone and where a lot of this dangerous stuff is going out. Do they have a responsibility now to essentially to put him on a tape delay so that every time he tweets something, uh, an officer at Twitter can check on what on the uh, on the validity of the health information he's providing and either prevent that tweet from going out in the first place or putting a big red box around it saying this is the truth of the matter. This is not he's saying something that has not been proven is not endorsed by anybody. There's also a uh, it's. I'm glad that Google is is applying its resources to pitch in with uh, some of the technology that it has it has access to, but it can be very scary. Um, just uh, yesterday, as I record this, uh, 
uh, Oracle uh, announced that uh, they are uh, creating an online platform in collaboration with the White House, not with the CDC, but with the White House. That's uh, sort of a, I guess you could call it a crowdsourcing uh, resource so that doctors could share. Hey, I'm using. I'm trying. I just decided to get it into my head to see if a high dose of cayenne pepper is going to help. And here's the results of my tests here. Uh, here, uh, here, and the idea that the, the this could be used to collect information about how chloroquine, the the anti-malarial drug, is being used, and being uh, this data being analyzed and observed and used by a political entity as opposed to a medical entity, that is scary. That is potentially very scary. What if uh, this administration is not looking for truth and facts and ways to uh, save people's lives and stop the spread of this virus? What if they are simply looking for, we've already made this de- made this decision that we want to open up everything in two weeks' time? And if we have if we have data that we can at least point to that says that oh well chloroquine that there's a statistical model that says that it will knock down eighty percent of infections by the end of of August and I'm, that is completely not true by the way uh, no one has said that I'm using that as an example like if but if they're using that because they know that they can't just say that without data but hey here is an oracle uh, platform that is giving them data that they can then massage however they want without putting it under the control of the CDC. That is scary and dangerous. This is not a case where we can be political about anything because uh, science and medicine, they are not political entities. They either are – it's either facts or not facts. And the White House or any other political entity has no business doing anything but funding the CDC and funding doctors and then taking the information that these doctors are, be, are, are developing for them. Oy. Okay, but uh, next on the on the roster here, uh, when it comes to advertising on our platforms, I'm quoting here, we have strict policies to govern the types of ads we allow. This includes a sensitive events policy, which prohibits advertising that may try to capitalize on tragic events such as a natural disaster, conflict, or death. Since January, we've blocked hundreds of thousands of ads attempting to capitalize on the coronavirus pandemic. And last week, we announced a temporary ban on all ads for medical masks and respirators which is something that, again, they are absolutely responsible for. It's actually even more important, I think, because they can't be profiting on on uh, on profiteers, okay? They can't help people uh, divert, uh, divert N95 masks from actual healthcare workers and sell them at a 1,000% markup. Uh, so it's working, but uh, Business Insider and others have pointed out that some of these ads are still are – still, uh, 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 still popping up. Uh, Peter Kafka, uh, who was uh, host of the Recode Media podcast, uh, said that he was served an ad for a face mask uh, attached to an article about a shortage of medical supplies that was published by the New York Times. So maybe this is a stress test for their ability for Google's uh, ad, Google Ads' ability to ban topics. Uh, I don't. It doesn't look yet like the people who are trying to. Uh, uh, trying to publish these ads have figured out how to get it, slip it in under the radar. It just seems like there's so much traffic that they're having tro- problems doing it. Uh, I'll give them a gimme for a little while, but this is not a situation in which uh, Google is allowed to say that we don't have enough resources. We don't have enough personnel. We don't have enough time and enough money. 
uh, it is a, they're having a, I'm sure they're having cert, uh, huge problems of managing their their workforce remotely, particularly given the limitations that are being placed on all businesses in the San Francisco area. But this is the price they have to pay for being the private operators of essentially a public utility. The bigger they, their footsteps, the more damage they can do by setting a foot wrong. And so we have to make sure that they're doing things correctly. And they're not unique in this. Everybody is facing problems that back in that famous garage uh, that everyone seems to start up their businesses in in the 70s and 80s. They didn't imagine ever having to deal with something like this, but they've got it. They've got to do it. Uh, to, 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 to that point, uh, actually, there's a – uh, another f- uh, set of stories I've been following uh, that uh, Apple, for instance, and Facebook have been as part of their uh, – I don't want to call it PR, publicity. But they've made it known that they are – they have they have hundreds of thousands of, uh, of N95 masks, if not millions of them. And they're donating them to, uh, to local emergency services, uh, leading a lot of people to wonder why the hell was Apple hoarding hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of N95 masks? And it's perfectly innocent. Uh, a couple of things. Number one, recall that they were uh, – that the uh, Bay Area was – uh, that all the wildfire situations that they were having, they need to they need to be able to protect their employees uh, no matter where they are. And it was very, very relevant for them to make sure that uh, if they have to send people home, that they send people home with uh, uh, enough masks and respirators that they are not going to suffer health problems or their kids are going to suffer health problems. Also, uh, if, and they've been doing this for years and years and years, these companies, that uh, they even all the way back to the bird flu epidemic of 2009 – uh, and I remember that because I was I had the good luck to be traveling through China during the middle of the bird flu epidemic. Uh, this is one of the reasons why this is kind of freaky because I've been in a place that has been, oh, God, this bird flu epidemic. We have to really – we're going to take everybody's temperature before they board the plane and wherever's going to be masked. And it was a more conventional type of flu where nothing was shut down. You didn't really notice anything different. Uh, after you pass through a border, they were just stopping people who seemed to have a fever. And if you didn't have a fever, you're welcome to participate in China the way that China was always designed to be participated in. This is not that same thing, is it? So I wonder if Google has that same stockpile. And if so, I wouldn't say they, they would be shamed into opening it up, but they uh, might want to get ahead of questions of Google. Do you have any emergency <laughs> uh, respirators that you might want to donate? They might want to actually get ahead of that. Uh, they uh, and just like they don't want to, uh, uh, they don't want to be seen as uh, uh, making money from ads that are pushing uh, deadly information. They also probably don't want to be seen as uh, taking advantage of a what uh, John Oliver, uh, back when he was uh, part of the Bugle podcast, referred to as a disaster tunity. Uh, but nonetheless. They are one of the few companies that is that has infrastructure that is very and services that are very very critical to getting society through the next year. Uh, so uh, they did announce that uh, their Google Meet product, uh, as part of their G Suite, is going to be free through the month of June. I think they're free through uh, July first. I think it's normally something like twelve or thirteen dollars per seat, uh, and it allows uh, have conferences of two hundred fifty people. Uh, or one to or like a broadcast up to a hundred thousand 
Uh, so and it's part of the business suite and also the educational suite. So obviously it could be a, a really important tool for allowing kids to have the best educational experience they can have under these circumstances, as well as uh, empower businesses to send their employees home and keep them home. Uh, uh uh, Microsoft is uh, Microsoft Teams is doing the same thing. Uh, others are who have similar services are doing the same thing. Uh, it is uh, we have to we have to note that this is. I, I wouldn't say it's an opportunity, but when, like I said at the during the intro, who knows what society is going to be like a year, year and a half from now? Uh, the work at home system might go from something that a few very very uh, special uh, snowflake type uh, type employees are allowed to have access to to just simply an option um this was a heck of a time for apple to finish building an enormous spaceship campus that every one building that everybody comes into and works at uh, if the workplace dynamics and the structure of work changes so that the central office is just the place you come in to when you have to do a job that cannot be done remotely in any way shape or form so uh, Google's going to have to handle that. Uh, it's a hell of a stress test uh, for the system. Uh, and I hope that it, it meets its goals of, once again, giving, uh, greasing the rails, greasing the gears for all those decisions that business, businesses have to make. Uh, we are still in operation. We can still have we, – we, there is no reason for us to shut down. But we would rather have our people come in and do business as usual. Well, if you grease the rails – and make sure that here is how easy it's going to be for you to have people working from outside. Here is how much money you can save by not having to keep the uh, much electricity going, uh, as much air conditioning going. Hopefully, we will see something good happen uh, because of uh, Google making Google Meet for free. And of course, we have a whole bunch of other bits and pieces here. Of course, we have to talk about Google I.O. being outright canceled. Now, we all uh, were... No one was surprised that uh, that Google was going to cancel the uh, the Meetware version of Google I/O uh, on March third. They said that they were going to be canceling the physical event, but they were going to be streaming and still holding it in a, in a virtual sense. Uh, but now everything's gone. Uh, there, here's a quote: uh, "Out of concern for the health and safety of our developers, employees, and local communities, and in line with recent quote shelter-in-place unquote orders by the local Bay Area counties, we sadly will not be holding I/O in any capacity this year." That was an announcement on the Google I/O website. Uh, "Quote: Right now, the most important thing all of us can do is focus our attention on helping people with the new challenges we all face. Please know that we remain committed to finding other ways to share platform updates with you." through our developer blogs and community forums. Uh, Google I.O. was supposed to take place at May May 12th through May 14th. Again, uh, that's it was no surprise to anybody that it was not going to happen. Uh, but it is interesting that they're not going to be doing anything even virtually because at this at this point – uh, the, the most of the content, uh, and this this news is uh, four days old as we uh, as I record, uh, announced on March twentieth. That certainly uh, within a, a month and a half, two months, they had already. They, they don't just put this on on a whim. They don't just go to the package store, buy a, a thirty six pack of something of, of hard cider, uh, and a couple of tarps for the for people to sit down on in the grass, and then just say whatever they comes to them with their mind. That must have been at a very, very uh, 
deep sense, deep stage of planning and execution at this point. And it never seemed as though, to, to an outsider such as me, it never seemed as though it would be uh, a huge problem to stream the event instead. Because when it comes down to it, uh, now, uh, for a long time, for the past three, four, five years, most of these developer events have been, you got the four or 5,000 people who were lucky enough to get tickets to intend to attend in person, but every single panel, every single session, every single piece of information is also being put out on YouTube. So uh, either live or a day after the, uh, the actual, uh, the actual presentation is made. And it would, it would feel as though it was a very, very doable thing. Um, I was uh, so I, I was I was pretty puzzled when I first heard about this, but when I went to the website and the, took take a look at their three paragraph uh, explanation, which ends with "Take care of yourselves. We'll continue to do everything we can to help our communities stay safe, informed, and connected." Um, it, it's it's a very compelling, if brief, statement. Uh, right now, the most important thing all of us can do is focus our attention on helping people with the new challenges we all face. It feels like it's an acknowledgement that in March, we don't know what the world is going to look like in May. We don't know uh, how uh, – we don't know if we're going to actually be able to get our engineers and our executives and our staff together to even record what they need to record to make things happen. Uh, and it's it it feels as though Google isn't hiding anything here. It feels as though they appreciate that uh, a developer conference. There are alternatives to even having a virtual conference that they can get that information out somewhere else. And it, I, I think, this really does belie how much uh, employee contributions are required to even do a virtual version of this event. And if they're saying that we don't want to even create a situation in which teams uh, have to be together for any short amount of time, because there's going to have to be some sort of uh, FaceTime meeting in order to make this, these things work. Uh, it would have been interesting to see how they made it work if they did. But I do, uh, at this stage, I don't think anybody can fault them for having done that. Now, uh, what are the what's the cost of, of canceling the, the event outright? I don't know. It was our, I, the way that I had seen it. It was already uh, once you, once you have uh, and I'm sorry when I when I'm, uh, I should <laughs> again this is the new normal when I talk about the cost I have to specify that I'm talking about uh, in a normal year given the goals of a developer conference to prepare a community of developers to support the next generation of software services and hardware how will that affect that. Uh, the way that it will affect health is that it will be a very healthy thing for 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 everybody involved. Uh, but how so? How will that affect uh, the level of preparedness of developers? I don't know. The big deal about having these developer conferences and why six thousand people uh, at Apple developers and Google developers and Microsoft developers are willing to fly. God knows where, <laughs> fly from the safety of their homes, uh, give up a week's worth of work uh, to actually attend these things in person is they're hoping to get FaceTime with people. They're hoping to have conversations that you can have face-to-face, -face, but you can't have via email. Or you can't have via a message board or via a, a radar system because you don't – there are things that people will tell you 
if they know that they're not being recorded and no trace of this conversation ever exists. Believe me, as a journalist, I have benefited from many such conversations where an email an email conversation goes to, oh, well, let me call you on the phone. Or eh, you coming to you said you're coming to San Francisco next month. Why don't we have lunch and then I'll take you on a tour of a place? Uh so who knows how that's going to change uh, the value of the experience for all of these people. Um, as I said earlier on that, uh, both today and earlier, we're going to figure out next year how, uh, how much we learned as a, uh, as an industry from having these things virtualized or not holding them at all. It is a big, big distraction for Google or Apple or Facebook or Microsoft to have to, uh, you know, create the, create the nerdy version of Cirque du Soleil on the campus for three or four days, uh, even though it's in everybody's best interest, it is a distraction to get all these people off their projects uh, and make sure that they've got all these educational materials ready to go at the same time on these three days. Um, just like there was a time when Apple used to keynote at Macworld Expo when there was a Macworld Expo in San Francisco every January until the time came when they realized that this was voluntary pain that they, they did not have to they did not have to experience they were year after year under the pressure of having something ready to show off or release or demo or give away in January and if they simply did not do that keynote and decided to announce a new phone when they were ready to announce it or announce a new feature for an operating system when they were ready to announce it. That was a burden that they were, that's, that was a big brick they were pulling out of their backpack and they realized that they didn't have to carry that at all. So maybe we're going to see a, a, a difference in how these, how Google IO is run next year. Um, I hope that it's still as open a, uh, a resource as it's always been because obviously this is this is business. This is intended to educate uh, engineers and developers and give them the skills they need and the knowledge they need to uh, to create the next generation of software. And it was critical for Google. This is their uh, their one hour and a half to show to the, their opening day keynote to show here is our vision for here's what we got going on for the next year. And even if we are still waiting three or four years later for that magical Google Photos trick that will remove a chain link fence between your camera and your daughter uh, at, at, at home plate swinging a baseball bat, uh, it was a cool thing and something that gave us something to talk about and gave us something to anticipate. So what's going to take the place of that? I don't know. Uh, Apple, for its part, has, uh, again, surprising nobody, announced that there is going to be no uh, no uh, meat where – WWDC this year. Fortunately, they had not announced it. They they typically don't announce WWDC the dates until super close to the actual event. So they never they didn't have to cancel anything that they had never announced. They but they announced that they were going to be having a very very special online experience for everybody. Uh, let's see if that uh, if that keeps <laughs> if that keeps on track uh, because a lot can happen between now and June, and they could decide that woof. Now that the numbers now that the numbers are in on the cost of having people together in any capacity, even our employees, uh, let's <laughs> let's do without this. Let's find a way to distribute this information in a different way. In lighter news, uh, Google Assistant can help you wash your hands now. Uh, it's kind of adorable if you say, "Hey Guillermo, help me wash my hands." 
a Google Assistant will play a nice little cartoon with an instructional song uh, to the tune of Row, Row, Row Your Boat for 40 seconds, which is the minimum duration recommended by the World Health Organization to truly get all that microscopic crud off your hands. I think according to Gizmodo, uh, <laughs> I'm quoting Gizmodo, so I should definitely cite them for this. Okay, I thought it was 30 seconds, but okay, maybe I was wrong. <laughs> maybe I've been doing it wrong all this time. Uh, but there is a technique. We're learning all kinds of things. I learned uh, uh, that there is a – given that I've never used nitrile gloves for the purpose for which they were intended, which is, hey, you're exposing your hands to uh, to, 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 to a uh, to viruses and bacteria and disease – uh, I did not know that there is a procedure for taking them off to make sure that you don't recontaminate your skin as you take them off. Uh, fortunately, the technique, uh, which involves – it involves basically peeling peeling them off in a certain order and making sure that your skin is never touching anything other than protected skin. Uh, fortunately, those guidelines are for people who use them uh, in like surgeries and in, in ERs where your uh, gloves are completely covered with – liquid that you don't want to be involved with uh, as opposed to just the palms and the fingertips. But I am smarter now. I used to be dumb, but now I'm still dumb, but at least I'm not dumb about this one thing. Uh, but yeah, so that, that could be a fun thing to work with kids. I do have a uh, Google Home in my uh, in my bathroom. Maybe I'll try it once. It'll be nice to have someone sing to me as opposed to singing at me. Now this is one. This one is interesting. YouTube has started to limit its streaming quality, uh, the quality of its uh, streaming videos. Uh, by default, it will uh, now stream at standard definition, and this was designed to uh, ease the strain on networks. Now that everybody's at home and everybody's streaming video and everybody's uh, uploading videos and everything, everyone is uh, using the network to uh, to do live streams and chats. Uh, you can still upgrade to high definition, but you will have to do that manually. Uh, so Google, uh, YouTube said in a statement, the move is meant to do our quote, to do our part, to minimize stress on the system during this unprecedented situation. Uh, and again, on a per video basis, they can man, you can manually change to a higher resolution. Um, but yeah, I wonder, uh, is that, is that like hoarding? Uh, no one, fortunately, no one in my community, I've not seen anybody in my community hoarding anything. Uh, but uh, you've part of it is that a, I think most of the people in my community are nice people and it's a tight knit enough community that you don't, uh, you don't know everybody, but you know, someone who knows somebody else. So probably it'll get back to you that <laughs> Andy was, Andy was bought up every single bottle of every single box of kicks breakfast cereal, even though there are 18 boxes there and how much kicks breakfast cereal can one man eat? Well, 18 boxes in two weeks, I got a problem. Uh, but yeah, is that now? Is that the same? But is clicking that button to get to uh, 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 1080 HD or God forbid 4K streaming? Is that hoarding bandwidth? I also have a problem, the, uh, a, an ethical problem uh, that I have to deal with because oftentimes, if there's, I, I use, I also use a a capture app, uh, an app called Downy for the Mac. Uh, as a sort of a, a VHS cassette, if there's a show or program that I definitely want to have forever and ever uh, and put into my home media library, I'll use Downey to download it and it downloads it at the highest available quality. And now I'm wondering, even though it's only maintaining the connection for it's not it's not streaming it 
uh, for if it's a 45 minute program, it's not streaming it for 45 minutes. It's only taking like five or six minutes to download it. I, I, I don't, I don't know, but if I by suggesting that there's math involved, if I'm trying to justify eating, chewing up bandwidth, I'll, I've got lots of stuff to think about. Uh, in case you're asking, you're wondering, yes, I was raised Catholic. So I find I have superhuman abilities to find ways to feel guilty and question my morality on a daily basis. Uh, speaking of justice, uh, everybody is talking about Zoom now, which is the uh, conferencing app that everybody uh, for in my in my case was the uh, okay we're gonna do it we're gonna do the briefing via Zoom okay and then discovering that I've probably the, the laptop or the computer I was about to use was the only one that is not set up to, to do Zoom, uh, but now it's uh, everybody is using it, not just. Uh, people who are its original target market, but everybody who needs to talk to people uh, and talk to groups of people, and uh, as a result, they're uh, they're getting a whole bunch of new users. Furthermore, they're getting a volume of users they never had before, and as a result, they're according to Android Police, uh, their four point five rating on the Google Play Store for the Zoom app uh, dipped all the way down to two, and now it's back up to four. I'm quoting. Uh, uh, the, I'm quoting Android Police here. It might give us an insight into how Google manages app ratings. Uh, they, uh, they, this is Android Police saying we've reached out to Google several times to try to obtain a statement about what's happening here, but it's clear some sort of safety mechanism or active intervention is saving Zoom's bacon and continues to do so as the situation goes on. They continue to say the number of reviews on the app's listing, curiously, is hanging right around 92,000 throughout this whole thing, suggesting Google may be doing some sort of flagging of new reviews. So that's just which is only fair i i've always said that if the the most useless rating in any system in which users can rate things is the one star rating because that's that is clearly invalid that's clearly somebody who's just angry and wants to lash out at something um i had a i had a uh, uh, one of my books had a perfect like five star rating on Amazon with something like a hundred something reviews or whatever. Uh, and then suddenly went down to 4.5 and it just gnawed at me because someone gave it a one star review. And so I read the review and it was, he was complaining because the subject matter of the book was exactly as it was described in the listing. And he th- thought that it was going to be about something else. And I had to reach out to him and make the argument that okay, sir, there's a Amazon gives you one to five. I think it's one to five, <laughs> so that you could not possibly have given it a lower rating than that. So, if you had paid nineteen dollars or whoever thirty dollars for my book, you got it there. Your name is Steve, and every page was blank except for the phrase "Hey, Steve." What an idiot you are. I just took $30 of your money with no intention of teaching you anything about the iPhone. You would still have given it a one-star review because there is no lower review than that. So uh, there, there must be some balancing of metrics. I think that any time that someone leaves a one-star review for anything, you almost have to discard it. You know, I, I, I think that there, and there might have even been a, an XKCD uh, comic strip about this. Uh, you have to throw out the one-star reviews because that's someone who clearly is not thinking. Uh, the top review 
also suspect either because maybe it's uh, someone who has a financial interest in this product trying to goose up the the score with top reviews, or again, someone who's not thinking. They just said, oh, wow, this is the best garden hose I ever used. It moves water from the house all the way to the, to the begonias. It's wonderful. Yay. And there, and there's nothing that you could have done to improve it, you know, whatever. So the, the, the reviews that I look for are the three-star reviews, the three-and-a-half-star reviews, because that means that someone is actually thoughtful and thinking about the pluses and the minus of this thing. So I'm glad that there is some sort of a backstop in the Google Play rating system to protect uh, a system like uh, like Zoom to make sure that it is not being taken down. Um, here's a, here, but here's another part, another piece, another story re, uh, related to Google's responsibility. Now, uh, if you've got Gboard installed, whether you've got Android or uh, or iOS. Uh, you know, of course, it does autocomplete just like every other uh, every other uh, every other uh, digital keyboard does. Uh, there seems to be evidence that uh, Gboard is refusing to comp- to autocomplete any uh, phrase, any racist phrase about the coronavirus. Now, as you probably have heard by now. This is the coronavirus or COVID-19 or novel coronavirus. Uh, Some people who are will find ways to be absolute bastards, no matter what the situation uh, have said, maybe this is an opportunity to call it the Chinese virus or the Wuhan virus and make sure we can make this good and racist uh, for uh, because why wouldn't we want to make this good and racist? And so it looks like there's evidence that Gboard is automatically filtering that out. Uh, Jane Manchun Wong uh, posted on Twitter, uh, posted a list of Gboard's, quote, emergency bad words for American English. Uh, And there's a lot of stuff on the list. Things that are sexual in nature uh, or conspiracy conspiracy things. It doesn't want to autocomplete. You know, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald did not act alone or whatever. Uh, but uh, there's it, it, a long list inside her tweet, and I've got a uh, uh, I'll, I'll have that link for you uh, inside the show notes. Uh, so, and a lot of them are like <laughs> a lot of them are things that would embarrass you if you intended to type something else. Uh, but like that also includes things like global warming is a hoax. But part of it is uh, China disease, China virus, Chinese disease, Chinese virus, Asia disease, Asia virus. Uh, and so uh, again, that's, uh, so, uh, it's possible that they're filtering these words out, uh, and more power to them. Uh, it hasn't, Google hasn't commented on this, uh, but it would be a responsible thing for them to do, uh, because, uh, it's, they're not censoring, they're not preventing people from typing those words. They're preventing those phrases from being auto-completed, which is absolutely the option of the producers of that piece of software. And uh, as sickened as I am by attempts to bring racism into this very, very serious situation, I would also be opposed if Gboard uh, tried to uh, filter, uh, control what people could say. Uh, but yeah, anybody who's using these terms, they don't they don't deserve the convenience of autocompleted. That Google is not going to help you uh, be racist in a time of crisis. Uh, lastly, now this is something that uh, was just uh, put on the Google blog, I think today or yesterday. Uh, 
I'm sorry, just a few days ago, March 20th, uh, also on the keyword Google blog uh, post byline by Avni Shah, vice president of Google for Education. Uh, so they're creating a new resource uh, they're calling Teach From Home. Uh, you can go to teachfromhome.google. And it's uh, they describe it as a central hub of information, tips, training, and tools from across Google for Education to help teachers keep teaching even when they aren't in the classroom. Uh, and if you click on this, and if you click on this link, you find that it is uh, sort of a portal for helpful slash how to articles that uh, go all the way from here is how to uh, optimize your home setup uh, for video calling uh, all the way to how to do a Q&A, how to live stream your classes, uh, how to create online quizzes, how to do uh, watch uh, work in Google Docs and provide real-time feedback. Uh, now, obviously, all of this uh, involves using the Google for Education suite, so it's not necessarily uh, a, a global how-to on how to do uh, remote teaching. But we're, we're in – a lot of people are in unfamiliar territory right now, and – I certainly wouldn't know how to teach a math class uh, remotely from my house. Uh, and I could be a master mathematician and a master teacher, but how do you actually do a whiteboard, uh, whiteboard based lesson? How do you do a lesson that is designed to be interactive, that you're supposed to keep an eye on the class and see how they're following along uh, as hard as the, as the job of being a teacher is uh, this day and age. It just got it. Just the the degree of difficulty just went up by a factor of ten. So I'm glad that they have uh, that they have uh, this resource uh, coming coming up. Now uh, let's let's where it's, it's we should be ending right now. Uh, let's uh, I'll but I'll start with uh, I'll end with a couple of uh, a couple of lighter things, a couple more positive things, uh, including how uh, how I'm relying on Google. Uh, there is no, I think that one of the least publicized and most effective tools that Google, Google has released in confronting bad information is the simple tool of Google reverse image search. Like if you're in the Chrome browser and you right click on a picture, one of the options that they give you is, is do a Google search, reverse image search for this image. And it's, it's, especially when there's a news item and a lot of people are posting, Let's shall we say interesting pictures or uh, attention grabbing pictures that you wonder, gee, this is too good to be actually authentic. Uh, and so the first time I used it related to this crisis is when uh, Tom Hanks uh, and uh, uh, I'm going to punish myself. Uh, I can't remember. Rita Wilson, thank you. I didn't even have to look it up. Uh, Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson uh, announced uh, on social media that they have been diagnosed with the uh, with coronavirus in, and they're entering quarantine in Australia. And there was a fun picture captioned about of him in like uh, in a hospital uh, being handed uh, being handed or holding uh, a a, a, a uh, volleyball with you know Wilson's handprint on it from uh, from Castaway. Uh, so oh look, see they're 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 have, keeping things light, and the pe- other people in the hospital are keeping them amused. And I thought that is a little bit too perfect, and I'm wondering how quickly an emergency room personnel would have said, "Ooh, here's Tom Hanks. We got to go to the sporting goods store and get ourselves a volleyball and put a bloody handprint on it." Uh, and of course, you do a reverse image search, and you find out that yes, this was this was uh, a picture of him from 2015 at a basketball game when someone handed this to them, and they, of course, they popped him and the basketball out of the foreground and into a new background. Uh, another one was when uh, 
Oh god, a fun, a, a really fun tweet. So someone had a, a, a there was a tweet of some uh, some woman I don't know, but it, it just filtered into my into my feed of these amazingly good looking Spanish soldiers. I mean, good heavens! <laughs> yeah, I mean, bulging muscles. They're in uniform, but like the first couple buttons of their shirts were unbuttoned. They had these hairy chests and they looked, if you dig men at all, boy, will you dig this picture. And if you don't dig men that way, you will completely understand why other people dig men in this fashion. And uh, the tweet was about how, oh, well, these are the like Spanish, uh, the Spanish army is helping to like maintain the quarantine, deploying, being deployed into neighborhoods. And this woman said, yeah, not, not for nothing, Spain, but you deploy a little of that this way. We promise we'll do whatever these people say. <laughs> Once again, another one of those, I don't. I don't know. It, it, uh, I didn't. They they had real guns and they had a military bearing. I didn't doubt that they were military, but I was wondering if this was some sort of squad that was having a little bit of fun. And so, of course, reverse image search. Actually, this is how they look. It's just a picture from 2017, 2016. So anytime you see pictures, particularly people who are trying to shape your opinion or your reactions to things, use that old Google reverse image search to make sure that uh, what you're being made to feel things about is actually a real thing. Um, I've also been uh, really relying on uh, Google Arts and Culture uh, which I've been using, I had been using a little bit, but not quite enough. Uh, it really, it reminded me of uh, how uh, how ambitious the Google Arts and Culture Service and uh, site is. Uh, that it really is trying to collect every single important thing from every single museum everywhere in the world, so that it's viewable and navigable. Uh, and they also are doing virtual walking tours. Uh, right now, I'm looking at artsandculture.google.com, and here's tour the Taj Mahal, walk around the marble mausoleum. And so, uh, I'm I've been having when things get a little bit hairy for me, I've been sort of like losing myself in uh, visiting museums virtually and learning about artists that I had never heard of, and just enjoying some of this art um, because. I started off the show by talking about how we are the primary uh, organism of this planet because we are able to adapt, uh, but also because we have this ability to be think, have thoughts that are silly and abstract. We have uh, a natural desire, I think, to create rather than destroy. It is, uh, as I also said earlier, that if the state of nature is one of chaos and uh, things breaking down uh, and recycling themselves, the way that uh, the human beings arrogantly, in a positive way, fight against that is that, oh, well, well hell with you. We're going to create something. We're going to create this huge thing. We're going to call it the Taj Mahal. And it's going to be beautiful. And it's going to be way bigger than it needs to be. But it's going to be really, really pretty. And we're going to maintain it and keep it nice and nice and shiny for everybody to enjoy, to impress and inspire people. Uh, and everybody who sits down and paints, everybody who sits down and sculpts, they rage against destruction. This is something that's been sort of helping me out, too. Uh, historically, when I'm in the dumps, uh, my way out, my way of finding the ladder up, is to try to create something. Not always, I can't always do that. 
but usually it involves that. And if I can't create something, I can at least appreciate beauty that other people have created. Uh, and there is always beauty out there, just like there is always hope out there. There is always uh, a way to be optimistic out there. And if you think that uh, you're living in the worst case scenario and that there is no reason to have hope, you're wrong. You haven't thought about there's uh, you. You need to remind yourself that there are still babies being born. There are still songs being written. Songs. Uh, there are still musicals being sung. Songs being sung and performed. And try not to. You can't pretend that the bad stuff isn't out there, but. It's also very, very unhealthy to pretend that the beauty and the creation and the spirit of humanity isn't out there as well. And so things like Google Arts and Culture have been helping me out there. Now, there's only one thing left on the docket. I did say that I was going to talk about. Uh, obviously, I have been gone for a few weeks, and uh, I did want to talk about that because you you, you deserve an explanation. Um, I got brain problems, you know, I don't, and uh, I don't think I need to uh, get into greater details than that. But my brain is, uh, for all of its very, very positive capabilities, all the things that make it a fun brain to operate and a fun uh, motor to zip around reality in, uh, it's got a few dents and a few scratches and a few dings. And I got really, really sick a few weeks ago. And uh, you're probably, and I don't want you to imagine the worst darkness or, you know, or anything super dramatic. But I had one of my not well periods in which it's just impossible to do anything. And um, that's just what it was. And uh, it didn't necessarily – I don't think that the coronavirus situation caused it. It certainly didn't help it. But these are things that periodically happen. Sometimes they're uh, really, really, really uh, bad and they really interfere with my life. And, uh, it was, I was actually able to get lots and lots of different kinds of work done uh, for reasons that I won't go into, uh, this, this specific kind of work I needed to do to do these podcasts by myself where it was just not possible to do it. And so, uh, and again, my appreciation for, uh, uh, my, my, my appreciation for flow to flow for jumping in and, uh, and, and pitching in like that when again, we agreed months ago that, hey, when you have your baby, just take as long as you want. You won't have to do anything. I'll take care of everything. I feel very badly about it. But I'm very, very grateful to her for doing that. Uh, and I'm sharing this with you, A, not as an excuse because, you know, uh, um, I as, as it's important, I've, I've been dealing with this problem for uh, a long, long time. Uh, I'm one of those, unfortunately, I'm part of that generation where uh, it took a while to get a proper diagnosis because, uh, there's, it's, it doesn't occur to, it didn't occur to me until, uh, I was deep into my life that, no, this is not just norm the way that every, everybody feels from time to time. And this isn't part of the, be having, oh, I've got a creative brain and sometimes I've got these moods about me. It's no, it's a medical condition and the right doctors can help you find the right medication and the right treatment and the right therapy to help you manage it properly. Um, what I'm saying here is that this is a tough time for lots of people. Some of you maybe are finding it hard to get from one day to another. 
I'm saying that it's okay to tell people that you're suffering. You're not being a burden for other people. And that sometimes your brain lies to you and tells you, as it often tells me, that you're just <laughs> you're just a pain in the butt to everybody. Stop being a pain in the butt. Don't don't mention it. You know, just you know, take handle it yourself. Uh that that doesn't work. I'm telling you it doesn't work. Uh some of you can handle can deal with stuff like that with a change of attitude, change of scenery, uh, having a cookie, <laughs> getting a pizza when you're not supposed to have pizza. Uh, but some of you are like me and your brain comes from the scratch and ding uh, department of the, of the store and you do need medical help. I can tell you that um, I, uh, I'm okay now. And that's because some years ago, I, after the worst, 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 battle with depression I ever had, it was like, okay, this is, this is, this is the point at which, you know, you, 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 uh, you know, you fall down, you scrape your knee and three weeks later, the knee is still swollen <laughs> and it's leaking fluid. And you have to say, okay, this is clearly not getting better on its own. And my limping is not helping it to heal. This is not what the knee is supposed to be looking like. I bet there is a well-trained professional that could help this thing heal up. Uh, and even if you can't, uh, if you have a problem that can't be healed, you can make things better. But once again, find that person that you trust and talk to them about it particularly at this time in, in, a, in a situation like this. On top of our normal stresses, on, a, on top of our normal struggles, we are dealing with worry. We don't know if our jobs are going to be here for us in six months. We may have already lost our jobs. We have family that we don't know if they're going to make it through this. We know that uh, you know there's statistics that we don't like to look at uh, particularly when we do that, uh, that mental inventory of all the people that we love and that we care about. It's tough. What I want you to, th what I want you to think about is that there are people around who care that don't think that you're being a pain in the butt, that if anything, they are pleased that you're talking about something because they probably have noticed that you've been down in the dumps and you haven't been just moping around. You have been seriously down in the dumps and it relieves them that they are, you are talking about it, particularly that you're sharing something that private and confidential with them. The other thing is that they are probably, in many ways, having a hard time as well. And nobody likes to be in a foxhole alone. Terrible place to be, but if you got there, you're there, there with the buddy, you can share your cigarettes in your canteen. It's somehow, uh, you've got someone to take care of. Uh, someone to uh, encourage you to take care of yourself. Well, that's a, that's a force multiplier. And I guess the best place to leave this is with that line that has, like I said, helped me so much, uh, given me so much hope and so much guidance. We're all here to help each other get through this thing, whatever it is. Take care. See you next week.